0: What is it that you want, Mary? You want the moon? Just say the word, and I'll lasso it for you, and bring it down for you, and then, then, then you can swallow it, see? And on the moonbeams, it'll shoot out your fingers and toes and out the ends of your hair. Everybody has some favorite <laughs> holiday classics, right? Jimmy Stewart, maybe that's not the best Jimmy Stewart you've ever seen. (laughs) It's the last time I'll do anything like that. Maybe not. I just lied to you. I do stuff like that all the time. Everybody has holiday favorite movies. And, And some of us watch them over and over again in this season. That line comes from somewhere in the middle of the movie, right? Everyone, likewise, is somewhere in the middle of something. You're in the middle of the movie. It's good to be reminded that when you're in the middle of something, you're not at the end of it. Sometimes endings feel like the end. But they're in the middle of the movie. For those of us who even in grief grieve with hope, not without hope, we're somewhere in the middle of the movie. You know, when Beth and I moved here to town, we felt like, uh, we came in the middle of the movie. We, we were getting to know you and we, we learned your stories and we were trying to catch up and try to figure out who was who and what was going on with whom and, and the relationships and the dynamics of this town and everything. We felt like we came in the middle of the movie. Everyone is in the middle of something. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of each of the four Gospels. At the beginning of each of the four gospels to see how they remind us that we're still in the middle of the story. And we're going to be accenting each of these weeks with, with some movie that, that's very familiar, should be very familiar to anybody who's walking around and breathing. I mean, you know, you know these, these stories, these, these films. And what I want you, want you to do, I want you to, I want you to consider um, something very seriously. And, and it's not easy to do. But I want you to risk stepping out of your comfort zone and I want you to hook somebody's arm this month and bring them here to church. Either to this service or to the 11 o'clock service. Each of these messages are going to be aimed at just the, the sense of relevance we all feel by something that's unresolved and to approach it from a place of hope that, that, that the movie isn't finished, that we're somewhere in the middle. And, and I'm going to do my very best to connect with people who have not been connected here from, for a long time or maybe never have. And so I, w- I want to promise you I'm not, I'm not going to be pushy. I'm not going to embarrass you. If you bring people here in the next few weeks... I'm going to honor the fact that they have not been here, and I'm going to make them feel like we have been waiting for them to come and that they're quite welcome. They won't be singled out anyway. I want you to consider seriously inviting someone because we're all in the middle of something. You know, the, the story I'm about to read, the beginning of Luke comes right in the middle of the movie. It, Malachi ends at the end of the Old Testament. Malachi ends... With the nation of Israel chasing all kinds of idols under the Babylonian Empire. And then there's a period of waiting. 400 years. Between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years. Where we pick up with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the news that she's going to have a baby, and that baby's name is, is John, John the Baptist, who prepares the way. The Lord, this, 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 this waiting tells us that there's something significant happening in the wait as we wait. In the middle of the movie, something important is happening as we wait. At the end of, of Malachi, you see the nation of Israel chasing idols at the beginning of Luke. You have a new culture, a culture that's under the Roman Empire, and Israel has, has found their way back to God again, has found their way back to the one true God. They're not pursuing him the way that, 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 he, they, that, that God has invited them to pursue him, out of a sense of grace through faith. They have strayed into works, but, but they're, they're prepared, they're ready. They've moved from, from chasing all kinds of idols to centering on God again. Something important is happening as we wait. Let's take a look now at Luke chapter 1, asking the question, what does God do when we're longing for something? What's he about? What's he building in us as we wait? From the word of God... Now, while he was serving as priest, Zechariah was a priest. Before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter, enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer your prayer, has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel said to him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you that you're always at work in every season of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would ready us, prepare us, For the coming season, a season of waiting and expectation. In Jesus' name, amen. From Dr. Seuss, the waiting place. From the book, Oh, Oh, The Places You'll Go, there's in the middle of the book, in the middle of the story, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or the bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the ring, phone to ring, or the snow to snow, waiting around for a yes or no, or waiting for their hair to grow. I'm not singling anybody out. Everyone is just waiting. The waiting place. Dr. Seuss says it feels like a useless place. What is God about in the waiting What he's doing, more often than not, is he's building our trust. He's building trust. Square one of every relationship is trust. What do I mean by square one of every relationship? If there's a problem in your relationship, any relationship, more than likely, it's an issue of trust. At some level, there's something wrong with trust and so if we're created for a relationship with God an eternal relationship and we're being prepared to be in an eternal relationship with God and eternity begins now if all that's true and God is certainly building our trust in relationship if square one of any relationship is trust, then as we wait, God is building a certain kind of trust, a trust with two qualities. Let's look at those two qualities. Trust that has real expectations and trust that looks past the what of our expectations to the who behind them. So first this. Trust must have real expectations, not phony baloney ones, not, not wishful thinking, real, live expectations. Trust must be expectant and active, not passive, not backing off and whipping out and saying, Lord, if it be your will, then... Now, I'm not saying that there's not a place and time for us to pray that kind of prayer. Jesus prayed that prayer in Gethsemane but to pray what we want with the expectation that God can deliver. We must develop trust that has real expectations. Now, you, you can see in, in the movie Sound of Music, this is the first movie of the four, the movie Sound of Music, that's, that's, that may be not a holiday favorite for you, but in my family, that's the, only, that's the only movie we watched repeatedly every year. We watched it every year, sometime around Christmas season. So I always has, have associated it with, uh, with Christmas. Written in 1959, based on, it, was a, it was written as a, a, a show, a Broadway show. The movie was based on the 1959 hit. Winner of five Academy Awards, the the music is so familiar. Rogers and Hammerstein, who who wrote most of the American songbook, it's a classic because it's really really rich in its story. and And there's a place in the middle uh, where Maria, who is the, the 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 main character in this, she's not sure whether she's going to to be a nun or not, and 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 she's waiting for life to begin, and she's. She's asking the great questions. Who am I? Where am I going? Am I loved? And and she's sent out on a mission. And if you've seen the movie, of course, you know what that mission is. It has to do with a a particular family, the Von Trapp family. And she shrinks back to the abbey where she was sort of in training, possibly to make a commitment to, to be a nun, And she came back to the abbey to hide. And she's called out by the leader of that organization. And she says, this isn't a place to hide from the world. These walls weren't built to shield you from problems. Your faith is not a coping mechanism to hide from reality. Faith is there to help you face what's really real. And so real trust must have real expectations. And so Maria is sent out again to face down what she needs to face in her story. You know, A lot of times we think of, of faith as just this place, it's just a bastion where, where we go and hide when things aren't working out. When true faith, real trust in God, equips us, enables us, actually pushes us out of the bastion, out of the nest, to come face-to-face, toe-to-toe with real life, what we're really dealing with. Zechariah had that kind of trust, and I'm going to show you where, if you missed it, you should really be astounded the next time you read it. Zechariah had trust that faced reality. He had real expectations in a real God. Zechariah was a priest. And he he and his wife Elizabeth wanted a child. And in that culture, you know, Beth and I've known people who've who've suffered with infertility and and it's so painful. And we've walked through it with them and 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 heard the stories and 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 it can be so, so, so difficult, but in that day and age, it, it, it was uh, unjustly viewed in terms of shame, as if they'd done something wrong. But, but what the scriptures say is that these are really great people. These are people who are righteous. Now, when we hear the word righteous, we think self-righteous, right? We don't, we don't have a good association with that. But these are the kinds of people who don't draw attention to themselves. They're the kinds of people you can trust. They're the kinds of people that you can really, really count on. That's what it means. They are in a class that is at the upper, upper crust, and they aren't using it to bring glory to themselves. They're using it to serve people. They don't even live in the zip code where they they could live, where most of the the priests would live. They didn't live in a show place. They were people who were serving, and they were true-hearted believers. So when it says righteous, don't be thrown by that as if they're some sort of holier than now kind of weird people. They are real people, and the kind of people that you'd want showing up when there's a crisis, and yet they felt a sense of shame over their barrenness because people were, were made, would make them feel that way. And so here they are at the end of their lives. He says he's an old man. Life expectancy at that time was probably around 40 years. And so he was probably old, like 48. <laughs> Maybe even 60. And yet, there he was, and he did something. What did he do? He did something that demonstrated real faith, real trust in a real God. What did he do? Well, see, once in a lifetime, probably a priest would be chosen by lots, once in a lifetime because of the great number of priests and because uh, of the way that things were set up, once in a lifetime he would probably have the honor of going in and burning incense in, in, in the holy place. Now, this isn't the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, but this is inside the temple uh, uh, where the, the, uh, you know, you've got the courts here and then inside the, the temple here there is where you have the the, the lantern and you have uh, the bread, the, the altar where the the seven the twelve loaves are, and and the the seven lamp lampstands and and all of these are symbolic of 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 the seven days and of of the twelve tribes and then you have this place where you burn incense and you take the coals from the sacrificial. Um, uh, altar outside of the holy place. You take the coals where they had sacrificed the animals, where the blood had dripped down onto those those coals, and you take those coals and you put them onto this this box that, uh, that where you would burn the incense. And on the on the coals, the bloodied coals, you would burn this mixture of spices of five spices, and 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 that would fill. The, the, the Holy of Holies, it would go up over the curtain where you couldn't see where the Ark of the Covenant was. And, and, and it's symbolic of the prayers of the people. Now, do you see the symbolism of this and how it is a type that anticipates the cross? the ultimate sacrifice the fulfillment of that whole sacrificial system the prayers of the people are represented they're outside praying and and the incense is being burned and the smoke is going up like prayers and it's filling the holy of holies and it is a place where god's over the mercy seat uh, over the ark of the covenant is where god's presence is and There the prayers of the people mingle with the very presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us. That's as close as we can get to the presence of God before Jesus was crucified. But what this season represents is a season where God fulfills his promise to be with us. To dwell with his people. To restore a relationship and to here and now present his spirit to you. To to be alive in you and to walk with you. What is he doing this for? Why doesn't he just make things right? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers? Because trust is square one of every relationship. And so the whole point of all of this is to develop us in us, a sense of trust. Zechariah had it. Zechariah, it says in verse 13, look back at it again. It says, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Imagine that. There he is at the end of his life, and he's been praying to God for a son, for a child, All his life. And he goes in to offer the prayers of the people, to burn the incense. And what does he do? He prays a specific prayer. Not, oh Lord, in general, bless our family. However you're going to. But Lord, bring Us a child. Do you see? This is a man with incredible trust. I mean, have you ever walked with somebody who's just so disappointed? they've spent their lifetime asking for something and then to see the powerful faith of a person who would continue to ask expectant that God has the power to deliver what an incredible man what an amazing story Have you been in that place yourself? Do you have people who need to be here who are so disappointed? Maybe they're disappointed with the church. Maybe they're seeing the commercials come on and it signals this this season again of giving gifts and they're harried and they're frustrated and it's just one more thing. And they're missing the point. God with us. And here you are in a place, in a posture of worship and trust. Can you think of somebody who's living life apart from God, far from God? Can you think of somebody in your life who is so disappointed in God and needs an invitation for you to be confident alongside them, not preachy or not instructive or not with any kind of agenda but friendship, can you can you draw near with the, the kind of trust that Zechariah demonstrates here? That's that's expectant. Trust. In the longing God is building in us expectant trust. Second, God is building in us as we wait the capacity to look beyond the what of what we long for to the who behind it. Not just the what, but the who. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, human history is the long, terrible story of humankind trying to find something other than God to make him happy. I saw that quote this week. I thought, that is exactly, that just nails it. Let me read it again. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. What if we were gathered out at the amphitheater right now and we just said, we just wrote in the sky, y'all come, come to, uh, come, come to the amphitheater. We, we have a message for you. How would you start where, how would you get as close to the people who are living their lives far from God? How, where would you start? What, what, would be, what, what would get right into where they're living and moving and having their being? What would it be? Let me read it again. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. See, even, even, when God delivers, he wants us in delivering the thing we want to see the who behind it and not the what. In the, in the middle of, of the movie of uh, Sound of Music, uh, Maria, is, uh, Maria is finally uh, recognizing that, that she and this captain, Captain Von Trapp, uh, have, have the desire to spend their lives together. And she is so overwhelmed by uh, the, the, the fulfillment of her dreams that she sings this song that, uh, you know, there are some of you who probably think this is sort of a cheesy song, and uh, I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry. That was the opening of the sermon. That was it. Shot my wad. But she says, S- nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could, So somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. She's sitting there and she's overwhelmed by the fulfillment of the gift that she's received. And she's trying to attribute it to something. She gets the what of her dream. And she's trying to figure this thing out. She's trying to say, there must be a reason for this, right? Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. No. You see, Zachariah says, he says, how shall I know this? The angel made the promise. Angel, every time you see an angel in Scripture, people are deathly afraid. Why? Because the angel is, is more than just being in the Holy of Holies, where the Ark and the Covenant is, the angel is standing in the very presence of God, and so there's just a, the smallest pinhole glimpse into the universe of the glory of God, and that's enough to strike fear in the heart of man. It's like when Peter recognizes who Jesus really is because he throws the nets on one side of the boat, and then he throws it on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden they are fish, and he's like, whoa. We were talking about a tiger a minute ago, and now I'm face-to-face with the real thing. Total paradigm shift. And here, when we're receiving a gift from God, and we're saying, like Zechariah, give me the proof. On what basis shall I know this? What is the foundation? And, and just like when Job, who was so faithful, so faithful like Zechariah, so faithful, and then at the very end just questions and God says, you better sit down. And there's a God, and it's not you. And on that basis, on the basis of who, not what, not anything that you've earned, you see, people who are living life far from God have a difficult time believing that God would give them something for nothing. And that's the message That's the message of Christmas. Once again, the year has rolled around and we get something for nothing. Oh, well, maybe we we give something. And what would we give? Maybe our silence on a silent night? Maybe, as we come to the table, the one thing we can give is our brokenness. To be someone who's in a position to invite someone far from God into this place, we need to remind ourselves that we're beggars at the foot of the cross. To be righteous is to be dependent, not to be better than. It's to know that any gift that we have comes by grace, and it's to know and to know our sin, the depths of it. If we're going to reach people who are far from God, if you're going to invite someone this season in a way that's really winsome, winning, then you're a beggar hooking the arm of another beggar. Tell him where he can find bread. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your powerful grace that represented before us in this meal is your very presence. And so we pray that you would set aside these common elements to a sacred purpose, that as we receive from this bread and this cup, we might experience a magnificent exchange of our sin for your righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.